Our reading this morning is from 1 Peter 1, reading verses 13 to 16. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. This is the word of God. Let's pray again as we come to God's Word. Heavenly Father, just as the prophets of old peered forward to see the time and circumstances of the Lord Jesus, his sufferings and glory, just as angels long to look into the salvation that we enjoy, we pray, please, that we, you would give us a deep sense of privilege that you have spoken to us so clearly in your word, the Bible, of your salvation. And we pray, please, that you would be with us now as we think about the implications of that. Uh, please help us. Please encourage us. Please challenge us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm sure you've, you've seen... Um, how Prince Harry's book, um, Spare, has sold in its millions. Um, I haven't read it, uh, given some of the headlines. I'm not going to. I don't think it would be uh, so edifying. Uh, but those who have read it, one of the themes that they speak of is how different day-to-day -day life is for a royal child to be educated at Eton to be followed by photographers from birth, to be housed at Kensington Palace, to have uh, one's parents' divorce played out in the public eye, to watch the entire world mourn for your mother's death. What is clear is that nothing about his or his brother's life is anything like ours. Whether an heir or a spare, being a royal child changes everything about day-to-day -day life. Well, in recent weeks in 1 Peter, we've been thinking about how we now are royal children if we trust in the Lord Jesus. We've been thinking about how we have been given new birth, that we are now children of the King, that God is now our Father, and that because of that, we are now heirs. Uh, we stand to uh, receive an amazing inheritance, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And so our question this week that uh, Peter addresses for us is, well, what difference should that make to our lives day by day? How should our new identity and destiny shape our day-to-day -day activity? What difference should all of this make to us as we look after the grandchildren? as we do the shopping, as we get some exercise, as we do our work, as we tidy the house, and so on, and so on, and so on. 
What are the practical day-to-day implications of being a royal child heading for an imperishable inheritance? Well, in truth, that's what Peter uh, is, is going to major on, not just this week, uh, but for a number of weeks now. And today we're just going to look at verses 13 uh, to 16 of chapter 1 and think about two implications of being a royal child heading for an imperishable inheritance. Uh, firstly, uh, looking at verse 13, as heirs, we're called to be laser-focused on our future inheritance. As heirs, we're called to be laser-focused on our future inheritance. Let me just read again verse 13. Therefore, in the light of this wonderful future that he's just been telling us about, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. What does it mean to have a, an alert and fully sober mind? Well, I think chapter 5, verse 8 helps us a lot. In chapter 5, verse 8, Peter uses the very same language. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So to have an alert and fully sober mind, it's to have the mindset of the conservationist on safari. Maybe you've seen uh, something on the telly. There's conservationist on telly in a Serengeti or some other f- safari doing a documentary. And as they walk and, and talk and they explain what's going on, they don't panic. Uh, they're not paralyzed by fear. They're not seeing dangers behind every stone and every tree. They're still able to laugh. They're still able to rest. And yet, at the same time, it's very clear that they never let their guard down. Their gun is always within reach because they know that there are lions about. And they know that with one wrong move, they could end up as dinner. And so they're careful and alert and aware, never complacent or naive. That's how we're to be. Our minds are to be alert and fully sober. Our minds are to be aware and alert because we know that our enemy, the devil, prowls around looking for believers to devour. What's his mode of attack? Well, often it's lies and temptations. Who are his targets? Well, anyone really, any believer, especially perhaps, and maybe very especially the easy targets, uh, the the lone believer who doesn't think that she needs other believers around her, or the proud believer who thinks that he knows too much and that he's too spiritually mature to fall for a lie. We, our minds are to be alert and fully sober. We're to have the mindset of the conservationist on safari. And with minds like that, Peter tells us, we're to set our hope on the grace to be brought us when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Uh, To set our hope is to uh, fix and focus our minds on Christ's return. Uh, We're to make sure that that day dominates our mental horizon. 
So you think of little kids and their birthdays. If you were to ask some of our kids um, after they come out of Sunday school at the end of uh, the service today about their next birthday, you would find out that their birthdays dominate their mental horizon all year round. So that at any point in the year, they can tell you how many months it is to go and what presents they hope to get and what they, who they hope to invite to their party. We are to be like that when it comes to Christ's return. We are to allow it to dominate our mental horizon. We are to set our hope on it. And setting our hope on that day means not setting our hope on other future days. I wonder if there's a day or future event that tends to dominate your mental horizon. Maybe it's just the weekend every week or the upcoming holiday, or the future wedding day for those who are engaged, or the move date, or the retirement party. It's not wrong to look forward to those days. In God's kindness, those days can be a real blessing to us. But Peter says they're not to dominate our mental horizon, because, of course, even the best of them will utterly pale into insignificance next to the day when Jesus Christ is revealed and brings in our future inheritance. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ has revealed it is coming. How practically can we do this? Well, I suppose it's worth remembering, of course, that our minds won't naturally gravitate to thinking about our future inheritance. We've got to choose to think about it. We've got to be deliberate. Yet we've got to let our minds bathe in passages of Scripture which have this future focus. We've got to speak to each other in ways that communicate that we really believe that this future is real and for us. You know, the way that we speak to each other so often uh, has such a, a major influence on what we think. Now, the last thing I want to do is to give a, a ready-made, one-size-fits-all saying that we can rattle off to each other and then we can tick this box. No. But all the same, when you say to me things like, when Jesus comes back, or in the light of eternity, or when you speak of life as this life, or the world as this world, what are you doing? You're reminding me that this future is real. You're putting Christ's return back onto my mental horizon. You're helping me to set my hope on that future. We need each other to be able to do this. So that's the first implication of uh, this wonderful future that we're heading for. As heirs, we're to be laser-focused on our future inheritance. But then a second day-to-day -day implication, looking here at verses 14 and 15, how as God's children, we've got to put our past to bed and to be holy like Him. We're to put our pasts to bed and to be, we're to be holy like He is. Firstly, we're to put our past to bed. Verse 14, as obedient children, 
Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Before Peter's readers came to know Jesus, they simply lived their lives on this principle. What do I feel like doing? So for for Peter's readers, we learn later in the letter that when they felt like drinking themselves drunk, they just drank themselves drunk. When they felt like lusting after someone, they just lusted after someone. When they felt like hitting the roof in anger, they just went for it. Their own evil desires ruled them. They simply did what they felt like doing. And so in that sense, their mouths and their actions were were just like a sewage pipe pumping out raw, unfiltered sewage straight from source. But Peter says, not anymore. Now you're to live as obedient children of your Father in heaven. Do not conform anymore to your old evil desires. Now, in telling them not to conform to those evil desires, Peter recognizes that true believers still have those evil desires lurking inside. Yes, we've been born again. Yes, we've undergone a heart transplant. God has taken out our old heart of stone, put in a new heart of flesh. Now we find ourselves actually wanting to worship and honor and live for God. And yet at the same time, I think all of us would admit, we still feel like sinning. Those evil desires in our hearts haven't been fully eradicated. Our hearts aren't pure. Our hearts are now a mix of good, new desires, but also of old, evil desires. But the difference is that as God's children, Peter says, we're not to conform to those old, evil desires anymore. We're not just to live how we feel like living now, what Peter says here is really very, very countercultural. You know, our young people get told all the time, incessantly, you've got to follow your heart. What do you want to do? That seems to be the mantra of, 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 of what we, uh, we teach the children. And sometimes that's okay advice. In lots of things, we've got freedom to do what we want to do. You know, if you prefer art to science, great, go for it. If you prefer, if you want to quit teaching and sell cars, great, go for it. You're you're free. But to follow your heart is a golden rule, which I think it is for many in our culture. Then that is terrible advice, really. Because, of course, a lot of what my heart leads me towards is evil. And what I want to do his sin. And so Peter says, look, whatever you do, don't follow your heart. Don't just do what you want to do, not anymore, not as God's children. Put that old way of doing life to bed. Get a great big thick marker pen and draw a line underneath it and say that was then, but not anymore. Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. And of course, when this is lived out, it's just brilliant. I think of two people in particular. You don't know them, so you don't need to try and double guess. Um, One, a young father who had a very, very short temper, became a child of God, 
and according to his daughter, becomes one of the most patient people she knows. It's brilliant. Or think of another young man whose life was uh, lived on that very principle of, what do I feel like doing? And it caused chaos. Becomes a child of God. And slowly but surely, with setbacks along the way, draws the great big thick line under that old way of living. Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. As God's children were to put our past to bed. And instead, positively, Peter says, verses 15 and 16, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Instead of looking inside and following our hearts, we're to look up and follow God's example of holiness. Instead of being conformed by what we want, we're to be conformed by who God is. Like a mirror, we're to reflect Him and His holiness. God's holiness, of course, means His perfection, how He always does what is right, He never does what is wrong, His sinlessness. But it's more than that, it also means how He's set apart and separate and fully devoted to his glory. God's holiness is also something which is whole and complete and beautiful. So in the Psalms, we're, we're called to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Do you know, if we were to see God's holiness, we wouldn't just fall on our faces. Our jaws would drop at how staggeringly beautiful it is. God's holiness is, is beautiful. It's perfect. And of course, if we, want to, if we want to know what God's holiness would look like in a human being, we can look to Christ. His bravery in speaking the truth. His willingness to be hated by the establishment. His desire to associate with the outcast. His time for people. His love for people that led him to warn them his compassion for the spiritually clueless and for the suffering, his willingness to forgive his enemies, his tenderness towards the weak, his disregard for his own comfort and wealth, his patience towards his disciples, his obedience to his father, even though it cost him his life. No one has ever radiated such beauty as the Lord Jesus. And Peter says, well, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Two quick observations to help us to apply this rightly. Uh, note that Peter isn't saying, do more holy stuff, but be holy in all that you do. In other words, Peter isn't calling us here to overhaul our calendars and to fit in more Bible reading and more prayer and more evangelism and more church activities. Some of those things are very, very good. But that's not what this particular command is getting at. This is a call to change how we do what we do, to be holy in what we do. In other words, this is getting at the way in which we load the dishwasher on a Tuesday morning or interact over breakfast 
or speak to BT when we call up their call centers, and so on and so on and so on, calling us to be patient and brave and kind and tender-hearted as we do all of these things. Not do more holy stuff, but be holy in all you do. Note as well, we're to be holy in all we do, not just in some things. So to mirror God's holiness isn't just a case of being faithful in our marriages and honest on our tax return, full stop, job done, tick, I'm holy. No. No, we're to mirror God's holiness in all areas of life, being patient on the road, being diligent at work, being generous in how we talk of others, being pure in our thought life, being self-controlled in what we watch, and so on, and so on, and so on, and so on. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, because, of course, our Heavenly Father is holy in everything. As heirs, we're called to be laser-focused on our future inheritance. As God's children, we need to put our past behind us and be holy like him. Two quick thoughts as we close. Let's remember God's grace. You know, the reality is that every day we fail to live this out. Hopefully there's change in our lives, but of course it's not as quick or as comprehensive as we'd like it to be. We need God's forgiveness. And if you feel your need of forgiveness after hearing on God's holiness, you're in good company. We all do. We'll be thinking about that more when we come to the table. Remember God's grace. He is willing to forgive. And let's ask for God's help. I mentioned at the beginning, spare. And one of the criticisms that Prince Harry has leveled at the UK uh, royal family is that it wasn't willing to help. Uh, so much was expected of them, he says, but they weren't willing to support. Now, who knows? But whatever the case, the same cannot be said of God. God loves to see his children focused on their future. He loves to see them grow in beauty as they grow in holiness. And therefore, he's so willing to offer help and encouragement and strength if we would only ask him. Let's ask God for his forgiveness and for his help now as we seek to live like this. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you that you are such a generous and wonderful and holy God. We thank you that we are now yours. We are your children. You've given us new birth if we're trusting in Christ. We thank you for the extraordinary future that we have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Help us, please, to be those who live in the light of that day. We pray that we would be focused on it. We pray that we would set our hope on it and be changed by it. And help us, please, as your children, to live holy lives as you are holy. Forgive us when we fail. Help us in our weakness, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.